had a really good childhood. I loved living with my parents and younger sister, and I didn't really have much to worry about. But at the age of 10, it all began to change as I started being bullied at school. I immediately looked at my parents to help me get out of the situation, but my, my dad was a teacher and he never really wanted to talk about it. So I remained silent and the bullying just continued. Three years later, I found out that my uh, dad had adopted me when he married my mum and my world came crashing down. I didn't want to talk about it or even think about it and I couldn't see my life in the same way. A few years later, my dad was diagnosed with depression and began to withdraw from us and I couldn't stand it. I felt so lonely at school, I felt so lonely at home and I didn't know where to turn. I remember one day after school, we, I just had enough. It had eaten me up inside. So on the way home, I visited my local newsagent and I picked up some adult magazines. And that was the moment that I became fascinated by porn. I ended up joining the church and becoming a Christian, which was great, but I was so afraid of being found out about my addiction and how I was praising God one day and then running back to porn the next. I was afraid that if people knew who I really was, that I would be kicked out. So I got stuck in, helping out at church and ended up being offered a role in leadership. At about this time, I also got married and we got the internet in our new house. It was hard. It was really, really hard. I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. I finally felt like I had a good relationship that I'd committed to, but if she found out, she might leave me. I started spending long hours serving at the church until I just got burnt out. I'd be crying out to God, bargaining for a place of compromise so I could be set free. I was fasting, I was praying, and I was fasting again. I would do anything to let it all go, just as long as it was kept between me and God. God gradually broke down my porn addiction and so much more. Right back to where it started, the need to belong and to be loved. We are in week three, part three of our series on transformation. We're looking at the Old Testament book of Exodus because it provides for us something of a roadmap for how God changes people like you and me through the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're watching this and maybe you're not a Christian, um, I think this is still going to be relevant to you and of interest to you because, well, we all want to change. There's always things in our lives, our circumstances, who we are, that we uh, want uh, to, to change, to be transformed. And, and really what we're looking at in this series is how God does that in the life of a Christian. What's the biblical sort of basis and how does it work out in practice, this transformation that the gospel promises? And on this journey that we've been on, we've taken a few steps already. And let me sort of uh, go over those steps a little bit. Two weeks ago, I started by saying, well, we all think of our lives in terms of story. But the thing is, when we meet Jesus, it's not that Jesus really comes into our story, but we recognize actually we get to come into Jesus' story. He is the great author. And that's good news for us because 
there is hope with Jesus. Change and transformation and growth and becoming more like him is not down to us. It's something that God wants to do in us by his spirit. And then last week, the kind of next step that we took, Joel kind of took us right into the narrative, into the story of Exodus. And we met the different sort of characters and situations there. One of the ones we met was the people of Israel and they were enslaved. And when we're thinking about this idea of change, well, they were kind of stuck and they were sort of waiting and hoping that things might change in the future, but had no kind of sense of how and when that was going to happen. And then on the other extreme, we had Moses, who is raised in the palace and he has a great sense of destiny over his life. But he orchestrates change on his own terms and he rushes into it and he makes a huge mess of it. And that's what we were looking at last week, how he ended up killing someone and then having to run away. And where Joel got us to was... God wants not us to sort of be passive about change, not to run ahead and try and fix things ourselves, but actually recognize that God wants to meet us first where we are at. Actually knowing him and having him meet us in our unchanged self, in our mess, in our sin, in our suffering, that is the beginning of this journey. And right now we're going to take another step forward as the story takes us forward. And what we're going to see in the passage that we're just going to hear right now is that God starts to speak to Moses. He's run away into the wilderness after he messed up. He's run away to a place called Midian. And then God speaks to him 40 years later. And that is where we pick up the story. And we're going to listen to it right now from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, 
who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Some of you will know that this series that we're in, the sort of teaching is based out of something we've been doing for quite some time as a church, a, a group uh, a context called Thrive Story. And part of that group context, and what, what it's really about is that, well, we sit in a group and we tell our stories. We provide a safe space, a confidential space, and we tell each other stories and, and of our lives. And that's a context that I've been in many times and uh, told my story. And I've listened to other people's story as well. And in that context, when we provided that space to be real and to be honest, I have heard uh, many, many stories of people in this church. And often, not all the time, but often there is really difficult stuff to hear about what people have had to face in life. I've heard stories of abuse, stories of neglect, stories of marriage breakdowns, relationship breakdowns, stories of mental health struggles and everything else in between, all the stuff of life. And when we're in that group context and when we're telling those stories, uh, we don't jump in. We don't try and fix people and say, well, this is what you've got to do. We just listen and sit with people and really listen to their story. Now, this is something that's maybe a little bit unusual. And, and some people, when they first come into that, struggle with it a bit. And other people maybe who are Christians who have not done Thrive Story and are a bit hesitant about it. One of the objections that often comes up is, well, why do we have to go back over the stuff of the past and the dark stuff and the difficult stuff? Because isn't the gospel, isn't what the Bible has to say, it's good news. It's about Jesus has come. He's come to bring the light. He's come to bring God's love to us. And surely it's better, spend, you know, better to spend our time focused on that stuff than talk about the problems in our lives and the things that have happened to us in, in the past. Surely we should be looking forward. And I, and I understand that objection. Yes, what God has come to do in us is to bring light and bring love and bring hope of the gospel. That is what Jesus has come to do. But I also know through personal experience and speaking to many people in this church that actually that love of God and the goodness of God is something that people are aware of in their heads and want to hold on to more and more. But there's kind of stuff in their life that stops them. And somehow this love of God that we sing about and we celebrate, sometimes many of you sit in services and you think, everyone else has experienced something that I'm not. And somehow this love of God that I agree with, I won't, but it's not really hitting my heart. And part of that is because we have to get 
under the bonnet. We have to get under the skin, into the heart issues to see this trans transformation has to take place first there. And sometimes to go forward with God, we have to go back. And this is what God is doing with Moses. God is kicking in his action plan of deliverance, his plan of transformation for Moses and the people of Israel. But what he does, what we've just heard, is that God sends Moses back to Egypt. He appears miraculously to Moses after 40 years of him being just in a nowhere place, running away from Egypt. God appears and the thing he has to say to Moses is, remember that place that you just messed everything up that place of your sin and that place of your shame the place that you ran away from yeah that's where we're going back that's my plan to go back there why does why does God do that has God just harsh has God just want to sort of drag things up just to make him feel really bad about it Moses struggles with it. No, no, because actually what God wants to do in Moses' life and our lives is not just move us from a sad place to a happy place, but actually redeem and bring transformation to our hearts. And often the things that have happened to us in the past or the struggles that we have in the secret place have actually affected our hearts more than we realize. And to go forward with God, some of those things have to be worked out with God and he has to get in there. And sometimes we have to be honest about what has happened. And so that's why we provide this space in this group context that we do that. It does require faith to do that. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy for Moses to go back. He struggles with it. He struggles to be honest, perhaps. He struggles to face his shame. He struggles to be, he just probably doesn't even want to talk about what happened. But actually God wants to do something that's redeeming and deliver him out of that and bring healing. God is a God who brings healing, not just takes us into makes everything okay. No, he brings healing. And that's something that's more powerful. Moses, and perhaps we, don't necessarily want to go there sometimes. You see, Moses has a different plan. His plan of how he's going to deal with the problem in his life or the problem of the past is just, well, he's, he's done it. He's ran away. He retreats. He escapes to uh, obscurity. And all of us have these issues of the heart, things that are going on under the surface. But we also all have strategies to manage it and to, to cope with it. Maybe we have anger issues and we think, well, I'll use a technique. I'll just count to 10 and that'll sort of help me not make it such a big issue in the dynamics, in the relationships I'm in. Or, or maybe we just, I think, right, the thing I need to do, I've got this problem of addictive behavior perhaps, but if I get accountability, that's going to sort me out because that's just going to suppress these desires that I have and just bring that in. There's nothing wrong with those techniques, but are they actually touching the heart issues it's easy to sort of focus on changing the externals and maybe that's what we do as well we want to change the externals maybe we recognize we maybe sabotage relationships that we're in and we go through cycles and this relationship doesn't work out okay well what I need to do I change the relationship find a new relationship or a new setting or a new job and I'll go again and we try to change the externals rather than actually know what's actually going on in the heart and we saw a story, or we listened to a story uh, from Paul, and he had an issue that he really wanted to change, and he cried out to God, God, would you change this addictive pattern of behavior that I'm in? 
But God wanted to go deeper and actually the change didn't happen. It did happen, but it happened when God addressed the issues of the heart. For some of us, we're not ready to do that. We don't want to do that. And it's just our strategy. It's just easier to be, well, cynical. Maybe we've been hurt in the past. Maybe we've been burned in the past. And it's easier just to be cynical, just to be skeptical, just to not trust people anymore. Or just to kind of like stay on the bench in life. Maybe things have gone wrong in the past or we're just aware of our weakness. We're aware of our brokenness. We're aware of the shame maybe in our lives. And so the way we handle it perhaps, the way you handle it perhaps, is just to sort of stay on the bench. I'm not going to put myself forward. I'm not going to take any risks. If that opportunity comes up, well, I'll just let it pass me by. I'll just stay on the bench instead. And that's what Moses is doing. That's what he's, he, he doesn't just run away to this place called Midian. He just like settles in obscurity. He raises a whole family. He stays there for 40 years. He's just, he's settled there. He's, ha- he's going to spend the rest of his days, as far as he's concerned, just in that place. But that's not what God wants for him. That's not, God, that's not God's plan for him. Settling is not God's plan for Moses. It's not, plan, it's not his plan for you. Just coping is not God's plan for you either. No, God's plan is something much better. God's plan is flourishing. God's plan is goodness. God's plan is us seeing ourselves in his story and using all the gifts and talents that he has given us and flourishing in them and enjoying them and enjoying who we are in God. Imagine your life if you weren't uh, confined by fear. What would your life be like if it wasn't dictated by fear? What would your life be like if you weren't held back by the shame that you feel about yourself? What would your life be like if if people-pleasing wasn't so much a big issue, it just wasn't an issue? What risks would you take? What opportunities would you grab hold of? God wants to instill something in us so much better that would take us to a completely different place. But the journey to get there is to go with God to address the issues of the heart, to go under the surface. It's difficult to do that. Maybe this illustration might be helpful the way we kind of manage it. You know, imagine you have a car, you're driving around and you start to hear a noise that's not a noise you want to hear. And you do what any sensible person would do, ignore it for a while, hope it goes away. And then it's the performance of the car starts to go downhill a bit. You're recognizing it more. There's lights flashing at you. And so you do what you eventually have to do, take it to the garage. You know there's a problem somewhere in this car. So you take it to the garage. The garage says, yeah, mechanic, yeah, there is a problem. This is how much it's going to cost. And imagine you say, well, what about if we just clean the car instead? What about we just got the Hoover out, we just washed the outside and made it look really good? That, that would be all right, wouldn't it? That would, that would solve the problem. I think this, this is the kind of thing that, that people like me and you do. We know there's problems under the surface. It's costly to go there. So we just think, well, I'm just going to settle for it. If I, if I look good, if I appear good to others, if I manage my behavior enough that I can kind of get through and no one really knows that it's a big issue, then that is, that is sufficient. That's not, what, that's not what God wants for us. That's not the journey of transformation he wants to take us on. No, he wants to get to the, get under the bonnet, get to the heart issues. 
What am I talking about here? What are these heart issues? Well, let's look at what Moses, this interaction that he has with God, because it gives, gives us a lot of clues. And one of the key things in it is about the lies Moses believes in his heart about who he is. In this passage, Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in a like miraculous way. He appears in this burning bush. That's remarkable. This is not everyday stuff when it comes. These things are written down. This is 3,000 years ago, written down for us to be because it's exceptional. God appearing and speaking to Moses. It's remarkable. But when I read this story, it's almost like what is more remarkable to me is that not that God appears, but that Moses disagrees with God. Moses says, well, okay, that might be the plan, but no, I can't do that. I'm not going to. Moses disagrees with God. That's, that's incredible. Why? What's going on there? Well, listen to what Moses says. God says, right, we're going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to bring change. I'm going to release the people out of slavery. It's going to be incredible. You're going to do it. I'm going to take you there. And Moses says, nah, can't do it. But what does he say? Moses' response is, who am I? Who am I to do what you're asking me to do, God? Now, it sounds kind of like a rhetorical question, but to be honest, I don't think it is a rhetorical question because I think Moses has got a pretty clear idea about who he thinks he is. He asks the question, who am I? Moses has got an answer for himself. Moses is thinking of Egypt. Who am I? I'm a failure. I messed up. I messed up. I had a chance, I was raised in the palace and I blew it. And that is what he hears when God starts speaking to him. That's incredible, but it's what happens to people like you and me as well. Even when we're faced with the truth of what God says, for Moses, the lies of the past speak more loudly to him than the audible voice of God. Because all that's going around in his head is you're a failure, you're rubbish, you messed it up, you blew it, you, you can't do this. You can't follow this path, you can't go back there, it's too shameful. And this is what happens to us. We struggle to grab hold of what God says in his word and God says about us because we're having that same monologue in our heads as well. Because what happens to us is that the experiences that we go through become our identities. Things happen. Things happen to us, we do things, we make mistakes, we sin, we fall. And therefore, it's not just that those events have taken place, actually we've interpreted them and actually we, what we've done, like Moses, we've started to believe lies about ourselves. We believe, I'm a failure, I'm a victim, I'm forgotten, no one really cares about me, I'm not enough. I'm, I'm not a good person. Other people, they might be, but I'm just not good. And we believe these lies. But God comes in and God challenges that. God challenges it. And he has a different destiny for Moses than the one that he uh, thinks of that he would have himself. He's just, he's it's in this place of lies that he believes about himself. I'm rubbish. I'm nobody. And this is why sometimes we have to go back and face what's happened and face our weakness and face our sin honestly, not just to dredge up sin and just feel miserable, to actually say, now what have I believed about myself because of that? 
How has that impacted my heart on a deep level? And how is this affecting the decisions and the way I think about myself now and the way I live now? That's why going back is important. Because God wants to dislodge those false identities, those lies we've believed about ourselves. And we have to look at it honestly to recognize that before we can, the Holy Spirit can help us to dislodge those lies and we can start accepting the truth of who God says we are. You see, the world recognizes this problem outside of the gospel you'll hear these kind of messages all the time we we're t- we know we're tempted to think of ourselves as rubbish and so the world says well what you got to do you just got to tell yourself you're great you're ama- tell yourself you're strong you're powerful you're amazing you're beautiful that is how you get through and it's just like turns it on its head and I see why they're doing that because we're tempted to believe these lies but is that grounded in anything Actually, when we think about our lives, maybe there's far more evidence of us being rubbish than us being amazing and strong and perfect or whatever. So it's not really going to be a lasting solution. God does not say that to Moses. When God appears to Moses, he doesn't say, Moses, you thought you were a failure, but actually you're amazing. (laughs) Go back and read Exodus 3 again and just put your finger on every time God talks about himself. He doesn't say, Moses, no, you're amazing. He says, I am the Lord. He reveals who he is. Because what he wants to do is get Moses' eyes off himself and onto God and realize that he is a powerful and awesome God who is bigger than Moses' failure. He's bigger than Moses' sin. He's bigger than Moses' shame. And what he's saying is, we're going to go back to Egypt because I'm going to show you that I'm more powerful than sin. I'm more powerful than slavery. And what we see happens in Exodus is we have these plagues that come on the people and they're representations of the powers in Egypt. There's different gods that people believed in. And God is saying, one by one, I'm the almighty God. And he undoes them, undoes them, undoes them. He is powerful. He is good. Look to me. That's one thing that God is saying. He is the powerful, almighty God. But also, he is a God that comes to Moses and comes to his people with personal compassion as well. So what he says here, I am the God of your father. I'm not just the Lord, the almighty God. I'm the God of your father and the father before you, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm your father. And you're my child. And that's what you need to understand here. Yes, you might have failed. Yes, you did fail. But that doesn't define you. I'm coming to bring this new identity to you. No, you're my child. And we've got a journey to go on and we're going to go on it together. Listen to the compassion that God has for Moses and the people. It's how he reveals himself as a loving father, compassionate towards, and he describes the people of Israel as the children of Israel. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry and I know their suffering. And this is the God of the Bible. He doesn't stand aloof to us. He comes into this world. He sees the suffering. Jesus has come into the world God has seen the suffering through human eyes. He's seen the suffering. He's heard our cries. And Jesus on the cross dies. He knows the suffering intimately. He dies as a victim. He dies as a failure's death. 
He dies forgotten by the Father, it seems. And he does that to show us and to come to us that we might come to him and know this tender compassion. And John chapter 1 says, as we believe in Christ, we believe in this God who has come to see and hear and know us in our sufferings. As we put our faith in him, John chapter 1, we become children of God. And that is what we are. And sometimes we can know it up here, but we don't know it in here. And God wants to affirm to Moses and he wants to affirm to you today. This is who I am. This is how you need to be defined in your life. You're not a failure. You're my child. You're not a victim. That's not who you are. You're my child, says God. You're not forgotten. You're not abandoned. You're not a nobody. You're my child. You see, to live the life that God wants you to live, you've got to live in the truth of who he says you are. That is the way forward. And we have to dislodge these lies that we've believed in our hearts. And yes, that might happen. Yes, that was wrong. Yes, there's weakness there. Yes, you may have failed, but that's not who you are. You are a child says God. And my prayer today is that just as Moses heard God calling him by name, that you, even right now, as you're listening to this, as you're watching this, might be hearing that voice of the Holy Spirit to you saying your name, saying to you, you are my child. You've called yourself a failure. Sometimes it's, it's things in our lives that literally people have said to us that I've kind of spoken over. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. You're rubbish. Who would want to be with you? And those things that can be so loud in our ears and just go around our head and we live according to that. And we make decisions and we, the way we behave is according to that rather than according to who we are in God, that we're loved, cherished and have that truth hit our heart and bring healing and bring transformation. So what are the lies for you? What are the lies that you've believed in your heart? Bring them to Jesus today. See that he has died on the cross as a failure, as a nobody, as someone who's rejected. He's dealt with that identity. And Jesus has not only died, he's risen again to give us new life. Life by the Spirit, life as God, as our Father, to be defined by that truth so we can live confidently and at peace. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, he is your Father Come to Jesus today, receive that afresh and let the Holy Spirit do that healing, transforming work in your heart today. Amen.